do verses 10 through 20 here of Genesis 12. You've heard me make the joke before. How do we know that the Bible is real? We know the Bible is real because if it was written by man, we wouldn't have lessons like Genesis 12 verses 10 through 20. God in his infinite wisdom presents both sides of mankind. We see the good that man does through the Spirit of God. We also see the awful things that man does in the flesh. What you have here tonight in verses 10 through 20 is a dark area in Abraham's life. When we think of Abraham, we like to think of all the amazing things that happened. You know, the father of Israel, you know, this idea of this great man of God, friend of God. That's all true. He wasn't an amazing man of faith. But also he had these awful moments in the flesh where I think if he could go back in time, he would really choose to do something different. That's how I can always feel like I can relate to Abraham. Because I feel like in my spiritual life, there's great moments of victory followed by awful moments of darkness in the flesh. I see both sides of that. And I see this with Abraham here today. There's not a lot of good to say about Abraham today, but we can learn from his mistakes. Paul wrote in the book of Corinthians that these Old Testament patriarchs, these Old Testament men and women, were given to us as examples to learn from them. So we can learn from what Abraham went through. We can go from there. Now, just a quick reminder, if you haven't been with us the last couple weeks, I use the names Abram and Abraham interchangeably. His name is not officially changed yet. He's still Abram, but he'll become Abraham here in just a few chapters. With that being said, let's see what happens. Verse 10 of Genesis 12 says, Now there was a famine in the land, and Abram went down to Egypt to dwell there, for the famine was severe in the land. And it came to pass, when he was close to entering Egypt, that he said to Sarai, his wife, Indeed, I know that you are a woman of beautiful countenance. Therefore, what happened when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will let you live. Please say you are my sister, that it might be well with me for your sake, and that I may live because of you. So it was when Abram came into Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman, that she was very beautiful. The princes of Pharaoh also saw her and commended her to Pharaoh, and as the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house, he treated Abram well for her. He had sheep and oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. But the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister? I might have taken her as my wife. Now therefore, here is your wife. Take her and go your way. So Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. Now, interesting story there, to say the least. I've joked about this before, and I'm half joking, half serious. One of the things I'm looking forward to heaven is I want to see Sarah. Because Sarah, they keep talking about how amazingly beautiful she is. And she gets up there in years here pretty high, pretty quick. And they still say she's pretty good looking. So just mark that down. Look for Sarah when you get up to heaven because you want to see what she looks like. Now, here's the truth to be told of what's going on. The key thing here is you don't go to Egypt. Egypt in the Bible is not good. It's never good. So this idea of being a famine in verse 10 and their great idea is to go down to the land of Egypt. Bad things happen when you go to Egypt. In the Bible, Egypt always represents the world. Now, I've had people, I teach on this before, where I say, don't go to Egypt, Egypt's bad. And somebody quick says, well, didn't Jesus go to Egypt as a child? And he did. It's a picture and a representation of God coming down in the form of the man to come to the world to save us. But generally speaking, when you go to Egypt, bad things happen. So Abram should have not went down into Egypt. Now, you may come back and say in verse 10, there's a famine. 
Okay, but this is where faith also comes in. I just put a couple quick verses down there. Proverbs 10.3, The Lord will not allow the righteous soul to famish. Psalm 37.25, I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. One of the most difficult things I have to do in counseling out here at church is when somebody comes in, and let's say they're financially struggling. And they'll come in and they'll say, Hey, we're having a hard time here. We've run the budget. We're doing everything we can. Money's tight. What do you think we should do? My first response is, well, I think you should tithe. Now, that sounds awful. <laughs> it really does. Here's the pastor of the church. You're telling me money's tight, and I'm telling you to keep giving to the church. It's not that the church wants your money. Is that the Lord says, I honor that. He honors that. God says when you put him first, he will always meet your needs. He will always miraculously provide. So even though there may be a famine in the life of Abram, God is not going to allow Abraham to die. He's not. God came back and promised him at the beginning of chapter 12 that I'm going to make you a great nation. You can't make him a great nation if he's dead. So God is not going to allow Abraham to starve to death. He's not. And this is where we have to remember, if you're facing a difficult time in life, and maybe you feel physically or spiritually or emotionally you are in a famine, God is not going to let you die. He's not. He will meet your needs physically. He will meet your needs emotionally. He will meet your, meet your needs spiritually. And I bet you every one of you here tonight can give an account of one time in your life where you felt like you couldn't handle one more thing. God got you through it. You may be here tonight right now and you keep saying, I can't handle one more thing. God is not going to allow your soul to famish. He will not. It is tempting to give up. It's tempting to give in. But it's during those tough times, if you compromise, it will come back to bite you. It truly will. We have to trust God's word. And God's word says, I will not allow the soul to famish. He will take care of you emotionally and physically and spiritually. He will do that. Do not go down to Egypt. Egypt is tempting. Egypt looks good. The world looks good. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. And what is your Egypt? I don't know what your Egypt is. I know what my Egypt is. I know what I need to stay away from, but everybody's different. Some of your Egypt may be friends that make you feel good for a brief moment, but in the end, it's not worth being around. Your Egypt may be going sitting at the bar all evening and drinking away your sorrows. Your Egypt may be getting online and looking at things you shouldn't look at. Your Egypt may be gossiping with some friend. I don't know what it is. It's never worth going there. It will always come back to bite you. Stay in the area you're at and trust that the Lord will get you through. So Abram went down to Egypt. What happened when he went down to Egypt? Well, now he has to start telling these lies. Hey, Sarah, tell everybody you're my sister. Now, you know how the story goes here. Go to Genesis 20 real quick, and we just need to talk about this. We're not going to read the whole thing. But in a few chapters, Abraham now goes to Abimelech. And as he goes to Abimelech, he says the exact same thing, verse 2 of Genesis 20. Now Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech said, fine, I'll take her. Verse 3, God came by Abimelech in a dream at night and said, Indeed, you are a dead man, because the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Abimelech says in verse 4, how am I supposed to know this? He didn't tell me this. So now Abimelech has to go back to Abraham and say, what's going on? Verse 8, Abimelech rose early in the morning, called his servants, told all the things in their hearing, and the men were very much afraid. And Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? How have I offended you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? 
You have done deeds to me that ought not to be done. Then Abimelech said to Abraham, Why did you, excuse me, what did you have in view that you have done this thing? Abraham said, Because I thought, surely the fear of God is not in this place, and they will kill me on account of my wife. But indeed, she is truly my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So it's his half sister. Now, so we got a little half truth going on here. See, and this is the whole point, and you've heard that comment before, half a truth is a whole lie. Have you ever done a half-truth? There's been times in my life where I've done a half-truth. There's been times in my life where I've done the half-truth, and I justified the half-truth. I thought it was a good reason to do it, probably just like Abraham. And then literally years later, the half-truth came out, and that half-truth was a whole lie. And it's a mess, and I was wrong. I look at my kids. Now, Layden, our fourth one, he does not do half-truths. He just does outright lies. He will just look you in the face and just outright lie about it. You know, Kenan will come in in tears, a red welt on his head, and say, Layden hit me with the bat. Layden walks in holding a bat. Layden, did you hit Kenan? No. No. <laughs> I mean, smoking gun type thing. He does not realize. Now, Elias, our oldest, he is the king of half-truths. With Elias, you have to start to speak Elias to get to the bottom of it. And those half-truths sound good. You, you think you're doing the right thing because you justify it. It is a little bit of a truth. Well, she is my sister. Well, she's also your wife. Don't, shouldn't you mention that? Abraham's walking in a half-truth. That half-truth gets him in trouble in Genesis 12. It gets him in trouble in Genesis 20. And guess what happens in Genesis 20? Abimelech, a heathen king, has to come correct Abraham, the father of Israel. There's a problem there. There's a problem when the world has to step in and tell godly men that you're wrong. That's not the way the system's supposed to work. And so when you see the world telling godly men you're wrong, there's a problem there. Yes, it's a half-truth, but that's a whole lie. You can speak from experience. I can speak from experience. Half-truths, stay away from them. They are lies. They are sin. They are wrong. And let's be honest from the beginning. See, here's the problem. When you get into that half-truth and you get into areas you're supposed not to be in, it causes problems. And we'll get to the problem here in a second. But anybody got any quick questions, comments about Abram going down to Egypt and the half-truth of Sarah, his wife, slash half-sister there? All right, we're good? Okay. Now, he gets out of this pretty good. In fact, Abraham gets out of this real good. Verse 16, he treated Abram well for her sake. He had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants, female donkeys and camels. And guess what? He gets to take those things with him. Now look at verse 16 one more time. I can't get past that verse. Was Abraham at all convicted? Was he not at all bothered? Was he not at all wondering? What are they doing to my wife? I mean, as they take his wife and they just keep showing up with more gifts and more gifts and more gifts... Isn't there something in this man's spirit that says, this is wrong? This is disgustingly wrong. I, I'm assuming there was, but he comes out all right and says, he says in verses 11 and 12 and 13, say you're my sister, because if not, they're going to kill me. What a horrible spiritual leader that is when you put your own interest in front of what's best for your family. Now, speaking to men here for a moment, men. If, you, if you're married, if you have kids at home, you're called to be the spiritual leader of that family. Too often I see in my life and also the lives of others, they put their own interest in front of what's best for their wife and what of what's best 
for their kids. I was doing marriage counseling one time with a couple, and it was a tough, tough time. And we started doing the individual, and I started meeting with the guy one-on-one. I remember distinctly, we were sitting at Bob Evans and Defiance. And we're sitting there, and we're talking about his role as a husband and what it means. And I remember we're going through Ephesians of loving your wife as Christ loved the church. And what does that mean and all the sacrifices that entails? And he looked me in the eye, and he says, this is not fair. He goes, I'm called to put everything I have off to the side and make sure my wife and kids are taken care of. And he said, what about me? And the point is, well, what about Jesus? Jesus was willing to put everything off to the side for us, his bride. Are we as men willing to do that? Abraham, when the going got tough, hey, wife, lie for me. Tell everybody you're my my sister. That's enough truth in there that it's not really lying. We're okay. Because if you don't, they're going to kill me. Once again, we're back to faith and trust. Abraham was just told at the beginning of this chapter, God is going to make him a great nation. He's not going to get killed in Egypt. He's not going to starve to death in the promised land. And he's not going to get killed in Egypt. He is not walking in faith. He's walking in fear. And when you walk in fear, bad things happen. They they are rough. If he would have had faith in the Lord, he would have stayed in the promised land, not got in trouble in Egypt. He would not have gone down to Egypt and lied about his sister slash wife. What happened? Now, some of you may be saying, okay, this whole half-truth, half-lie, he kind of got out of this without too much trouble. But that's not exactly true. Because look at verse 16 one more time. One of the things he got was female servants. Now, look in Genesis 16.1. It's on your sheet there where it says, Egypt sixed us. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Now, this woman, Hagar... Sarah's great idea is, hey, sleep with Hagar since I'm not able to produce a child for you. So you sleep with Hagar, and Abraham did it, and that's where we got Ishmael, where the Muslims come from of today. Now, where did Hagar come from? Well, she's an Egyptian maidservant, and I find this interesting. Some people may say, well, we don't know for sure that she got her in Egypt at that time. It's interesting. If you look at Hagar, she is called Hagar the Egyptian four different times in the Bible. God is trying to make a point that every time you see Hagar's name, he reminds us she is the Egyptian that came from Egypt. When did she come from Egypt? I bet she came as one of the female servants in Genesis 12. If Abraham would have stayed out of Egypt, but we wouldn't have had Hagar, and we wouldn't have had the problems that came with Ishmael as well. Now, God loves the problems that come with Ishmael. Let's make that clear. But that was the problem that came out. Egypt sticks to us. Has there not been something in your life you thought, I got away with it? And maybe you did get away with it for a few minutes, a few hours, weeks, months, years? Usually comes back to get you. Egypt sticks to you. So now the question comes up of do we learn from our mistakes? Abraham screwed up. Guess what he does in Genesis 20? The exact same thing again. And guess what happens in Genesis 26? Isaac, his son, goes to another king by the name of Abimelech, and some people think, could it be the same one? We don't know. And guess what Isaac says to his wife? Hey, you're so pretty, they're going to kill me. So tell everybody that you're my sister. Now, where do you think Isaac learned that from? Or probably learned that from good old dad. Isn't that interesting? Fathers and mothers, anybody that has a spiritual influence on somebody, be it a grandchild, friend, neighbor, whatever, when you decide to go into Egypt and hang out in Egypt for a while and Egypt sticks to you, It affects people that are around you. I don't know how many times people have told me in counseling, this is innocent. Yeah, I'm wrong. Yeah, I sin. But it doesn't affect anybody else. 
It always affects more people than what you think. It always does. By Abram going into Egypt, it shows that he did not trust God. He thought he was going to die of the famine. God's not going to let him die in the famine. He thought he would die if they found out Sarah was his wife. They're not going to kill him. God promised that he's going to build a nation out of him. His half-truth was a whole lie that brought Hagar with him, which caused problems with Hagar and Ishmael, which then caused problems, it looks like, with Isaac later on. This is a domino effect of things falling apart. Take a look at King David as another great example of this. Anytime David got involved in the flesh with his family, his family just completely fell apart. Had somebody contact me recently and said, okay, the law makes it perfectly clear that you're not supposed to have more than one wife. Why is it that all these Old Testament people had more than one wife? Abraham obviously did. We see this the same thing happened with uh, Jacob. We see this happen with David. And we can go down the list. The point back to that is this. You look at these Old Testament guys that had more than one wife and show me any one of them that had peace in their family. They didn't. When you get out of line of God's will, you will not have peace in your family. Abraham had problems in his family. Why? He was with Hagar the maidservant. He was lying about things. We can learn a lot from Abraham with this, and I hope that we can learn and apply it to our lives too. Now we've got a final point that we want to make here. But does anybody else have any quick questions, comments about anything we've covered? Cindy. Yeah, I think back during that time with Abraham going into Egypt, he would then have been the minority, he would have been the outsider, and the Pharaoh at that time was considered a god. Whatever the Pharaoh wanted, he could have. So it would have been pretty simple for the princes of Egypt to say, that gal looks good, we'll take her. Oh, she's married? Well, then we'll just take out the husband. I mean, David did the same thing with Bathsheba. Found out Bathsheba was married to Uriah. Okay, well, we'll just get Uriah out of the way and I'll get her myself. So anybody else have anything here? Yeah, surely. Yeah. God, that's a great point. That's the thing is, there was that promise that was made. And it's easy for us to look back now thousands of years later and say, Abraham, why did you not trust this? Why did you not trust that God said just a few verses ago in the beginning of Genesis 12, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. Abraham knew that the Lord wanted to bless him as a nation. Abraham knew that the Lord wanted to make him a father of many. It comes back to trust. Abraham was not going to die from the famine. Abraham was not going to get killed by the Pharaoh of Egypt. He wasn't because God's hand was on him. But what happens is this. In the moment of fear, we have to decide, will I walk in faith or will I walk in fear? If you walk in faith, you trust that the Lord has a plan. He's looking out for you. He takes care of you. If you walk in fear, you start compromising. You start doing things in Egypt you shouldn't do, and it leads to problem and trouble. Anybody else have anything here before we make our final point? All right. Easy to pick on Abraham, but God is a God of second chances. And, and maybe you came in here tonight, and you're in an Abraham moment. You, you just, you've screwed up. And not just once, but it's on rinse and repeat. It just keeps happening again and again and again. Aren't you thankful that God does this. Look at our verses, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How simple is that? Yes, Abraham was wrong. Abraham is really not showing himself to be quite the godly man that we want him to be as the father of the nation of Israel. But the Lord still wants to work with him.
Look at the next one here, 1 Timothy 1.15. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. That's what Paul said. Paul says he's the chief of all sinners. I heard a pastor say this one time, but I've never forgot it. If there is hope for the chief of sinners, there is hope for us. You may be a bad sinner, but you are not the chief of sinners. You're not. You can't stake that claim. Now, you may have convinced yourself that you're the most awful, horrible father, mother, grandmother, friend, whatever on the planet. But you're not the chief of all sinners. Paul, through the Spirit, called himself the chief of all sinners. And if he could be saved, and if he could be used by God, there's hope for us. Too often we see people get themselves caught up in a sinful moment, and instead of walking in forgiveness, they walk in this defeat. Okay, of course you were wrong. Of course what you did was wrong. But you know what? God forgives you. What a beautiful thing. And if God has deemed you to be forgiven, then you need to forgive yourself and move on. Because if God's forgiven you, what question is there? People come in all the time and say, I can't forgive myself. And I always think, what a ridiculous thing. And I always ask them, has God forgiven you? Of course. Well, if God can forgive you, why can't you forgive yourself? Well, you don't know what I did. Well, God knew what you did, and he forgave you. Now, I'm not trying to pick on them because they're in a tough time, obviously. But just think about how dumb that sounds. God can forgive me, but I can't forgive myself. You're not on a pedestal above the Lord. If the Lord has deemed you worthy to be forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ, then don't let anything keep you from that. That is a lie from the pit of hell that you should not be forgiven. If you confess your sins, He is faithful to forgive you of your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You are not the chief of sinners. You can be forgiven. You can be used again. The Lord wants to do that. We all do things we shouldn't have done. We've all gone down to Egypt. We've all walked in half-truths. We've all had Egypt stick to us. We've all done it. God forgives us. What a beautiful, beautiful thing that is. And as we walk in His forgiveness, let's walk in truth and say, Okay, Lord, I don't want to visit Egypt again. The next time a famine comes into your life, be it spiritual, emotional, or physical, don't give in and go to Egypt. Trust that the Lord will get you through it. He will see you through it. He will help you through it. And you will be blessed by going through it. That's the truth of it. Abraham went down to Egypt. It caused problems that affected his family for generations to come. And to be quite honest, still affects us today. But you know what? God also loves Abraham and forgave him. And Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel. And what a blessing that God is a God of second chances. Anybody have any final questions, comments, or Cindy? What happens to the person who lies constantly, like, like they lose their life as a lie? You know, it, well, you know, the Bible makes it clear that if you're living your life as a lie, and that is not something that you're seeking forgiveness on. The question has to come up, is there ever a chance that you really are, you know, walking with the Lord? Because obviously somebody who's living in their life is a constant lie, and lying is constantly part of what they're doing, and they're not in any way convicted by the Holy Spirit. The question comes up, then, are they really a child of God? Because as a child of God, if you have lied and you're walking and living in that lie, you'll be convicted by that, and you'll want to make that right. So I guess what I would say to that is if somebody's constantly in that life of lying, I would stop and say, are they really knowing the Lord like they should? Because if they really know Christ like they should, they'll be convicted by walking and living in that lie, and they don't want to continue it in any way. So they need to uh, understand that, basically, and ask for forgiveness and try to change their ways. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, it's a sin like anything. Here's the, here's the thing that we do as Christians. We have a tendency to um, have a hierarchy of sin. 
And, you know, we got, you know, the big three. I always call the big three of sin. You know, we put a homosexuality up there. We put abortion up there. And we put, you know, uh, sex before marriage, pregnancy, you know, before marriage. Those are the big three. If you've done those, my goodness, you probably should not even step into church anymore. And we, we elevate those to the worst of all things. Gossip? Well, of course, gossip's bad, but it's not as bad as those things. Sin is sin. So somebody who's walking in a lie constantly, okay, they may not have all the moral ramifications of doing some of those other things, but it still shows a heart that does not want to walk in truth. And since it does not want to walk in truth, it shows a heart that's not right with Christ. That heart has to be made right. And the Bible even makes it clear that liars cannot, will not inherit the kingdom of God because they need to be made right in the Lord. So... Well, yeah, I would say morally they're not right. I mean, it'd be it'd be difficult to have a strong relationship with someone who's constantly lying, because if they're willing to constantly lie, and we know they're willing to constantly lie, what what should we ever believe is truth then? And I think that would make it difficult then. It's kind of like the boy that cried wolf type thing. How would you ever know what's truth? Yeah, it makes it difficult, and it really comes down to that person probably needs to either know Jesus stronger or better, or come to know Him, you know, the way the Lord wants him to. So. Anybody else have anything here for a close-up? All right, let's pray then. All right, Heavenly Father, as we just come to you, help us to truly be the people you have called us to be in all ways, in all things. Lord, we do want to walk where you've called us to walk. If there's somebody here tempted by the world and they want to give up and give in and go down to Egypt, Lord, show them it's not worth it. Lord, if there's someone here that's walking in those half-truths or lies, show them, Lord, to walk in the truth. And Lord, if... Egypt is sticking to us. In the name of Jesus, help us to break free from that through your spirit. Learn from our mistakes. And thank you for being a God that forgives. Thank you for being a God of second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances, Lord. We love you. We thank you. And we praise you. You're a God of grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And we say thank you for that. We lift this up in your name. Amen. All right. You guys have a good week. God bless. And we'll catch you next Wednesday then.